Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Alhamdulillah, since last Ramadan, over 4 million people have benefited from, listened to, and downloaded the Qalam Podcast. Tens of thousands of people have benefited from and learned from the various classes, intensives, and seminars that Qalam provides. And inshallah, this Ramadan will be providing even more beneficial content, lectures, and programming for people all around the world, free of any cost or charge to them. In order for us to keep doing this work, we need your support, we need your help, we need you to be our partners in this Sadaqah Jariyah. Please go to supportqalam.com. That's support, Q-A-L-A-M, supportqalam.com, and provide your most generous support. Millions of people all around the world are insha'Allah, bi'idnillah, going to benefit from all of this work, and this will be your sadaqah jariyah for the eternal life of the hereafter. We really appreciate having you as part of the Qalam team and supporting us in this work, this mission, this cause. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. To our uh, program here during the last 10 nights. Um, <clears throat> inshallah, I'll ask uh, Ustad Abdurrahman to get us started very quickly. I uh, just wanted to uh, share with everyone exactly where we're going to be kind of reading from and drawing inspiration from. There's uh, a very uh, notable scholar of our tradition uh, referred to as Ibn Qudama, that's his kunya, Ahmad Ibn Qudama, Al-Maqdisi, Rahmallahu Ta'ala. Um, he was born in um, the year, uh, the Hijri year rather, of, he was born in the sixth century uh, specifically, he was born in the year 541 after Hijrah, and he passed away in the year 620 after Hijrah. So he was a scholar of the uh, 6th century and the early part of the 7th century. Um, he's a very remarkable person in terms of his background. He actually comes lineage-wise from the Quraysh, from the family of the Prophet He was born in Palestine, and he lived uh, an early part of his life in uh, Damascus. He sought knowledge in Baghdad and Damascus uh, and eventually uh, lived out most of his days actually in Damascus, teaching and uh, writing and researching. Um, he was a very uh, remarkable scholar of what we call usul, uh, the principles, the foundations of Islam, whether it was aqidah and the theory behind Islamic law, the principles of Islamic jurisprudence, and he was, he's one of the landmark scholars of the Hanbali school of Islamic fiqh, Islamic law. He also was a very insightful person when it came to spirituality. He wrote some very remarkable works in the realm of spirituality, Kitab Tawabin, and the book that we're going to be drawing inspiration from and reading from as well. And one of the very interesting things, even though he was a scholar of such high caliber, he was such a remarkable intellectual, his character is one of our, is the thing that people remember about him. He had, because of his background in usul and Islamic theology, he debated, he was in a number of debates. And the thing that was noted about him in his debates was he would always be smiling in his debates. 
um, even when engaging very intensely in intellectual and academic debate, he was always polite, he would be smiling, um, and so his character is something that everyone remembers about him. So he wrote this concise but very powerful work called Al-Wasiyah, Parting Advices. And so um, we're going to be, inshallah, reading from this work, and we felt that since we are in the last 10 days of the month of Ramadan, the last 10 nights, that as Ustad Abdurrahman uh, suggested the title, that we're going to draw inspiration from this on parting advice for the month of Ramadan. So inshallah, I'll ask Ustad Abdurrahman to get us started. Good? I don't think it's, it's that. I think it's, I think it's the two mics together. Okay. So, uh, how's everybody? Alhamdulillah. Good to see everybody. Alhamdulillah. I'm doing well. To the one person that asks. <laughs> Sometimes it's how are you, but it's never how am I. Uh, anyways. So, uh, in a moment of seriousness, though, we, we are, alhamdulillah, now, we've officially embarked into the final 10 nights of Ramadan. May Allah ta'ala accept from us and allow us to find the last, uh, the Laylatul Qadr, the night of decree and power and of measure. May Allah Ta'ala grant us that. You know, it's important, I think, it's really impressive that a lot of people are here. Um, you know, there, there, there's narrations that basically allude to or substantiate any of the last odd nights being the night of power, the night of Qadr. Um, and so the 21st night, very famously, Imam al-Shafi'i, like his personal opinion is that it's the 21st night. There's some that lean towards the 23rd, 25th, 27th, right? And of course we know it could be the 29th. So it's really, really important for everybody uh, that's experiencing the last 10 nights to really consider how these last nights are so critical and to not simply hinge upon one night or hinge upon one opportunity. Uh, you may not be able to go to the masjid every odd night or every night, but everyone in here should have some level of regimen that they're following on these odd nights even if it's nothing that is, you know, I don't want to say anything really is impressive, but even if it's not as intense as you can imagine it being, if you were to invest all of your energy into one night, that, that schedule, as impressive as it might be, is better divided up across the actual duration of the 10 nights. So if you can stay up for six hours on one night, we're not talking about Sohor Fest, <laughs> may Allah help us and protect us I mean, yeah. if, if we're not talking about staying up for 6 hours what I'm saying is if you can dedicate 30 minutes a night in the last 10 nights for reading Quran making dua asking Allah to forgive you dedicating some sadaqah, some charity if you can give yourself 30 to 45 minutes each of these nights in order to accomplish that task you'll be better off because you will go from a 20% chance of finding the night of power to nearly Allah knows best guaranteeing yourself that privilege and that honor of being able to have worshipped Allah on that night and earning the reward that is not a thousand months but Allah says khayrun min al that it's better than one thousand months which is not literal it is even greater than a thousand months people try to do the math we're like such a stem ummah it's so annoying everyone's like 83 years one lifetime subhanallah Allah says better than that. And in Arabic, a thousand months is not literal. It's like saying, oh, how many samosas did you eat? A thousand. No, you didn't. You'd be dead. It's, it's hyperbole. It's trying to, to, to get across the point that there is no 
the return on that investment, there's nothing like it. One night will give you greater than a thousand months, and here a thousand can mean a million months. It can mean years, it can mean a thousand years, right? It's innumerable. Allah Ta'ala's reward is innumerable, right? Allah Ta'ala will give us reward that we are not even uh, realizing of. May Allah Ta'ala grant us that. So this advice is interesting. Ibn Qudamah starts the text with a small preface, and it's actually like a really nice moment of vulnerability, subhanAllah, where he says that, that فَقَدْ سَأَلَنِي بَعْدَ الْأَخْوَانِ الصَّالِحِينَ and that this book actually came as the as a result of a request from one of his one of his friends or companions that asked him like hey can you write something write a wasiya for us and he says that I I set out to do that but then I realized that I don't even live by my own advice and this is again for someone his caliber I mean this is such an incredible thing to say. No, no one in this room is, is going to be comfortably able to admit weakness to the degree of writing it down where it's preserved for history. You know, 600 after Hijri, we're in 1400. So for 800 years now, when people read this book, the first thing they read about him is that he felt like he didn't live up to what he could have done. And this disposition is what fuels people, right? If I think that I'm already the, 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 I'm already at my capacity. I've already reached what my goals can be. You will find yourself slacking into negligence of your responsibilities to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The one thing you'll find about all the great names in our tradition is that they never felt like they did enough. And that's not self-deprecation. They're not beating themselves up. They are simply reminding themselves that no matter what I have done, I could have done more. That's the way to start these last 10 nights. Whatever you did the last 20 nights, great, may Allah accept it. But you could have done more, right? There's always one more page. There's always two more rakat. Not one, because then you didn't finish, right? <laughs> there's always some. There's always something that you could have done. And that's what these last 10 are about. What did the hadith of the Prophet say about the last 10? You think that the Prophet slacked in the first 20? No, of course not. He was a master of worship. He understood it through and through. But Aisha still tells us, how what? He tightened his belt. He rolled up his sleeves. He woke up his family. And he got to work. It doesn't mean that he wasn't working the first 20, but what it means is that no matter what he did the first 20, let me do more. Let me do more. Because I say it all the time in Ramadan. I say it too often. When Ramadan ends, everything else that distracts you will be here. But Ramadan will not be here. Everything else that distracts me, that takes my time away, Lakers and Timberwolves, who won? Doesn't matter. See, you shouldn't have known the answer. You failed. No, I'm joking, right? Lakers won. Dennis Schroeder is Muslim. Allah Akbar, okay? The Victorian Prince is also Muslim. SubhanAllah. So, all of these things, like everything that could have occupied the life of a believer, will still be here in some shape or, or form, but Ramadan 2023 will not be here. Okay? So, Ibn Khudama here is, is, is sharing with us a moment of, of vulnerability. But then, he says, and this is also cool, he says, wait a minute, that's a trick of shaitan. This isn't about me. Why am I focusing on myself? So he says, I thought to myself that maybe I should respond to his, to his request, even though I don't feel adequate. رَجَاءً ثَوَابْ قَضَاءِ حَاجَةِ الْأَخْ الْمُسْلِمِ 
maybe for all my shortcomings, Allah might give me a special reward of taking care of this one need of my brother. He's asking me for something. I'm saying no because I'm feeling self-conscious, but maybe this is my chance to make up for all that. And then he says, maybe then, ila mas'alatihi. And then he says that, uh, and I hope that maybe there would be some ajr for me from the things that I wrote, some reflections that maybe would encourage him to do good deeds, and maybe that I would be considered the one who gave him direction towards that. Right? The one who guides towards good gets a reward as well. So this is how he opened his text. He's opening the text in a very real state. This is not a pretentious book. It's a very, very, it's a very real book. It reads almost like a memoir. It doesn't read like a technical text. And Shaykh mentioned, he's a technical master. His fiqh text, his understanding of, of Islamic law is, he, he's, he's, a, he's a, a, a pillar in one of the four uh, orthodox schools of thought in Islam. But all of, behind all of the technicality, there's always something that fuels these people. Behind all of the math, there's always a passion there. It's the closeness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so he starts to advise us. His book is cut up into three different sections. Tonight we're going to cover at least part of the first one. It's called Hastening Towards Good. Al-Mubadira ila al-Amal. Hastening Towards Actions or Good Actions. And he begins by talking to the person. And he says that this world that we're living in, this dunya, is a place of harvest. This is a place of harvest. You know, the farmer doesn't live on the area where they grow crops. They live off to the side. The place where they build their home is not where they're doing their work. So the Muslim person doesn't consider the place where they are doing their work, their workshop, they don't consider that to be the place where they're going to be forever. Right? This is like a rented facility. The dunya is a place that we're just renting for a short while. Why? Because in this rented facility, our goal, our aspiration, is to be able to produce the works that will bring us closer to Allah in our eventual home, in Dar es Salaam. And Allah Ta'ala is calling us. So this opportunity here, it takes a frame shift. The first question we ask ourselves, and the reason why we slack off in doing good deeds, is because we consider this place to be permanent instead of temporary. So the first thing that he, that he addresses in this text is, this is not your permanent home. This place, he says, is a place, a field of harvest. And the next world, the next life, the akhirah, is the place where you're going to be able to collect all of your profits. The market that you want to sell everything at, you're not going to get it here. And this is true, isn't it? You do so many good things and so many good deeds. And Islam is so amazing and so unique in that there is no promise that you are going to see the results of your actions immediately. In fact, it's something that the religion tries to break. You're not in this transactional relationship with Allah. You hold open the door for somebody, and they don't say, thank you. What do you do? You stop holding doors open for people? You say, no. Am I going to hold this? No, of course not. I'm doing this for the sake of Allah. If I was doing it for this person, then yeah, I stop. But if I'm doing it for the sake of Allah, I realize that this person is not even my, my giver. If a person gets caught in the trap of doing things for others, on the Day of Judgment, the Hadith says that Allah Ta'ala will tell the person, go and get your reward from who you were doing it for. We'll be standing there, oh Allah, I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. And the person will proclaim, oh Allah, this is for you. 
And the angels will say, no, you lied. Why don't you go to the person that you were seeking reward from and see if they have something for you? And obviously, it's a rhetorical statement. There's going to be nothing for that person because the only one who gives reward on that day is Allah. So our understanding of why we do what we do has to be surrounded and filled with sincerity. Sincerity has to be the key. And these last 10 nights are the nights where you discover sincerity. I mean, it's Tuesday night. Who has work tomorrow? Who has kids that are gonna wake up at seven regardless of how late you stay up? This is a reality. But sincerity is something that has to be discovered. If a person doesn't have sincerity, Ibn Al-Ta'ala says that your actions are like these lifeless forms, a car without a driver. They're, they're pointless, they don't do anything until you discover sincerity. When you discover sincerity, he says, all of a sudden now, Salah starts to fill, what is Salah's purpose? Now Salah, instead of becoming a moment of just complete khushu destruction, becomes a moment of remembrance of God. Sadaqah, instead of becoming a moment of battling yourself, being disappointed at how cheap you feel about yourself, now it becomes zakat, truly purifies your wealth. Fasting, instead of it being that you're, you're daily dreading, counting down the days so you can have your morning cup of coffee during daylight hours, instead of that, fasting becomes the, 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 the workshop of taqwa. All of these things start to feel more fulfilling. The actual purpose of them starts to feel, and you start to attain it. When? When you start to feel sincerity in there. But sincerity only comes when you remove everyone else from your mind and your heart, and you do something only for the sake of Allah. You guys want to know how Allah does this for us? Anyone? Okay, you don't? All right, let's keep going. <laughs> you know how Allah does this for us? Allah doesn't only make the deed, the response to the deed neutral. He makes the response to the deed from other people really bad. You hand someone food and they say, that's it? You hold the door open for someone and they say, can you move? Right? You tell someone that suffer there's no more caramel, they roll their eyes. <laughs> Allah will put people in front of your path that will destroy you emotionally when you're trying to do something good. And in that moment, you get asked the question, did I really mean it in the first place? Because if I meant it, this wouldn't bother me. In Allah Ta'ala says that the people who take care of people who feed others, what's the thing that they do? When they're doing it, as they're handing out food, they remember to themselves, We are only feeding you for the sake of Allah. That's all we hope from this. We don't want you to give us any reward, nor do we want you to give us any thanks. Some of the setups, some of the people from our, 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 our tradition, these amazing luminaries, if they did something, and they got a gift from the person they did it for, they would feel very, very shy to the point where some of them would reject it if they could, and some of them would even start to cry. Because they would say, I don't want my reward here. I don't want it here. Now, I'm not trying to encourage everyone to stop giving gifts. Someone does something nice, they're like, here you go, you're like, in Jannah, inshallah. I don't have to spend my money here, I can spend it in Jannah when I have unlimited amounts. That's not the goal. Don't think about others, think about yourself. What are your expectations? How do you move? How do you operate? So he says, thinking about this life in those terms will help reset everything. It'll help reset everything. And then he says something really beautiful. 
and then I'll, I'll hand it off to Sheikh inshallah as well. He says that this place, he says, He says, this place, this dunya that you're in, it actually is the hope and the wish for two types of people. And these people are opposites. One of them are the people of hellfire. Well, we all know why they hope to have dunya. May Allah protect us from being them. Because why? Because in the Quran, Allah Ta'ala says what? That these people will call out to Allah. That they will say what? رَبَّنَا أَخْرِجْنَا نَعْمَلْ صَالِحًا غَيْرِ الَّذِي كُنَّا نَعْمَلْ He says that they will call out to Allah. They will say, Oh Allah, take us out, please. We're going to act differently. We're going to act differently than we used to act. And the Quran says, no. You wouldn't. In fact, if you got another chance, you would go back and do the same thing. May Allah protect us. That regret, I cannot imagine. You know the feeling of pit in your stomach. Can you imagine, subhanAllah, like when a person is listening to their sentencing after they've committed a crime and there's nothing you can say or do or feel except for, I wish I didn't. I wish I didn't. So, Ahlul Nar makes sense. Ahlul Nar makes sense. We understand why it's the hope for them to come back. But why people have Jannah? I mean, if you go to Jannah, are you ever going to think about the dunya? I mean, like, in Jannah, I want butter chicken, I want banana milkshakes, and shake, I want a bed. In that order. Right? That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to food and sleep and healthy ACLs, inshallah. Are there even ACLs in Jannah? Who knows? Okay. So, why on earth would someone who goes to Jannah want to come back? But the hadith tells us, and this is pretty amazing, for the heart that is sincere, and for the person that tried their best, there is a sweetness that is in this dunya that they will not be able to get in Jannah. Does that make sense? It's kind of a riddle. There's a sweetness in this dunya that the people of Jannah will not be able to get. And that is the sweetness of doing the right thing when it mattered. Doing the right thing when it mattered. Ironically, the people of Jannah and Jahannam have the same regret. It's the only, quote unquote, you can't even call it a regret, but it's the only thing the people of Jannah will say. They will call out to Allah, and they will say what? They will say, oh Allah, send us back. Ibn Mas'ud, he narrates in the hadith, he says that, the people who were martyred for the sake of Allah, he said they will ask Allah to send us back so we can do it again. Send us back so we can do it again. The people who live their life for Allah, the only thing they're gonna say is, oh Allah, can you give us another go around? Because there was nothing as sweet as those nights standing in Tarawih worshiping you. So the people of Jannah will actually miss and regret the moments that we're in now. May Allah Ta'ala make us amongst them. So he says, and he continues, he says, understand, know, my brother, may Allah have mercy on you, that Allah Ta'ala will be asked by both groups to return them back to this life, yet neither group will be returned back to this life. So he said, rather, they will both have to, they will both obviously be living in the abode that they were in. Now, how does a person get to this point? Sheikh, do you want to uh, talk a little bit about the part where he begins and he says, uh, وَكَانَ بَعْضُ السَّلَفِ 
وقد حفر لنفسه قبرا it's on page 11 so how do they get to the state shaykh where they're like people who are akhirah focused what do we do so he shares a particular experience where <clears throat> he says somebody went to the graveyard and he prayed two rakahs uh, next to a grave. And then after he was done praying, he leaned you know, back against the, like the headstone of the grave and he dozed off, he fell asleep. So he says that he had a dream and in the dream, he saw the person who was buried in that grave. And the person says to him, he goes, you know, uh, he's upset with him. And he says that you have caused me a lot of distress here tonight. <clears throat> he says, how have I distressed you? He said that these two rakahs that you just pray here, it made me lament and regret so many missed opportunities that if I had offered just maybe two more rakahs, my situation maybe could have been very different than what it is. So it was a lot of thought and reflection. And he actually talks about this, that you know they would constantly be very deliberate and thoughtful about what they were doing how they were spending their time, uh, what they were allocating their time and their energy and their resources to. And keeping in mind, and in the next section he goes over, he gives this really elaborate, beautiful example that if somebody, a group of people were on a ship and they got stranded on an island. <clears throat> and on the island they found that there was an abundance of resources. Right, gold and silver and whatever else you can imagine. Some people went onto the island, they gathered together whatever resources they could, and they boarded the ship again, ready to basically head back. And while they were loading all the gold and silver onto the ship, if they started getting tired, they reminded themselves that we have to leave here and whatever I take from here is gonna come in handy later. When their back started hurting, they pushed through and they reminded themselves, I have a limited opportunity here. And I need to make the most of it because this is not an opportunity I'll maybe get again. When they started feeling sleepy, they pushed through because once again they reminded themselves, I don't know how long I'll have this opportunity. And so that's the mindset that drove them, that motivated them, that pushed them to be of this you know, conviction and seriousness that the life of this world is temporary. Um, and I don't want to be saddled with these regrets on the Day of Judgment. The Day of Judgment in the Quran is called many, many things. يَوْمُ الْحِسَابِ وَيَوْمُ الْخُلُودِ وَيَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ But one of the things that it's also called is يَوْمُ الْحَسَرَةِ It's the day of crippling, debilitating regret and remorse. Where <clears throat> a narration mentions 
that if there was no other punishment for the people in hell, other than just the remorse and the regret that they would feel, that would be a sufficient punishment. The misery that they will suffer because of lost opportunity. Right? Ustad was talking about how, you know, that's the only thing pe the people of paradise and the people of hell have in common. They are completely, total, totally different people. We were talking about it in the Khatra earlier today. Totally different types of people. They have nothing in common, the people of paradise and the people of hell. They have one thing in common, is that all of them will remember lost opportunities. That's the only thing they have in common. The example that he shares about the people in paradise is the martyr. <clears throat> Understand that the greatest deed anyone can do is to give their life for Allah. That's the greatest deed anyone does. After the prophets, the greatest right? So the martyrs, they have performed the greatest deed, have made the ultimate sacrifice. They gave their life for Allah. But the martyrs, who you would imagine, someone like that's got nothing to regret. I mean, he literally left it all out on the field, the battlefield. But it says that the marcher, he will be asked, is there anything you want? Is there anything you want? Allah will honor them and say, ask me for whatever you want. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Right? We were just talking about it. Food and bed and drink and... But what will they ask? فَقَالُوا يَا رَبَّنَا نَسْأَلُكَ أَن تُرَدَّ أَرْوَاحَنَا فِي أَجَسَدِنَا Our request is put our soul back into our human worldly bodies ثُمَّ تُرُدَّنَا إِلَى الدُّنْيَا And then put us back into the life of the world فَنُقْتَلْ فِيكَ مَرَّةً أُخْرَى So I can give my life for you again. Because I see the blessing, the bliss, the serenity, the honor. The forgiveness and the mercy and the honor that you have given me for giving my life for you once, I wish I could do it again. So the, the life of this world, it's very interesting, right? Because when we talk about this worldly life, um, a lot of times we talk about how we belittle it. But interestingly, it's also extremely valuable. And that's why that famous expression uh, of the early generations, that when you are waking up in the morning and deciding, okay, I have these tasks to do, to better my quality of life in this world, put it off for tomorrow, for next week, for next month, for next year. As if you have an unlimited amount of time. But when you are, your, item, your items, your to-do list, that is for your akhirah, your prayer, your charity, your service to the community, do those things like you might not even live to see the evening. Get it done ASAP. And that's that kind of, to talk about it in a practical sense, because we talk about this a lot, whenever we discuss spirituality, sometimes it becomes very kind of esoteric and abstract. 
practically speaking, having your spiritual to-do list and your worldly to-do list. And a practical way to live life is completely finish your spiritual to-do list before you even start your worldly to-do list. And that's a practical way to live life and that's how we can come into this, you know, become ingrained in this mentality of being focused on the afterlife. And, and I, there's shift literally to summarize beautifully what you said, he finishes the chapter with this amazing like parable. And I want everyone to think about it. Anyone here ever lost money before? Or something valuable? Okay, so you lose something. Or anyone here ever got like a speeding ticket? You lost money to the state? For this yeah. I told you I got one recently. Not speeding, it was rolling through a stop sign on the way to PT. And I was like, my knee's not working. <laughs> and he's like, you shouldn't be driving. Touche, you're a smart man. Yeah. So when you lose something valuable, when you lose money, there's two elements of frustration. Number one is the element of losing something, because you lose anything, it's annoying. But the other element of loss is that the opportunity cost that you lost. So if you lose $100, it burns that you lost something. It also burns that you're like, I could have bought this with that. So as I'm paying my ticket, I'm thinking in my head of all the different things that could have filled that value, right? $200 for a ticket. If anyone wants to chip in my GoFundMe and shot live, <laughs> <what I'm> <laughs> so imagine if, imagine, I'm in my era right now. Imagine if we treated our time, especially in these last 10 nights, and any lost moments as more critical than losing money. Listen to what he says. It's amazing. Do not squander one of these precious jawahid, like one of your treasures, your gems. Don't even leave a single breath of your life except that you did something good in it. Don't leave a single moment, okay? And do not, do not let it leave you, except that you're able to get some return on it. Like, earn something. Earn something. You know what's even worse than committing a sin? In some ways? Because at least sins, it leaves you the opportunity for toba. It's the, it's, the, it's, it's the neglectful mediocrity of just existing. Just sitting there and scrolling. Just sitting there and looking at something and not being immersed in some sort of remembrance of Allah. How many hours, subhanAllah, and you know it's crazy because if we get so accustomed to that, we actually, any good that we do feels so burdensome. Feels so burdensome. I was talking to somebody who is a runner, so that means that they don't like themselves. <laughs> Mishak, it's Havu Muhammad, he led here last year. And he, he runs marathons, right, for fun. And marathons take a long time. And training takes a long time. So I asked him, I said, what do you do? I said, I could run in theory, but I wouldn't know what to think about. Like if I had Google Glass and I could watch something, it'd probably put me in danger, but like, at least I could spend the time doing something. You know, there's only so many times you could, hi, as you pass by someone as you're running, like. And he said, is he here? I hope he's not here. He said, I review my Quran. When I'm running, I just review my Quran. And if you heard him last year, and that's why he's known amongst like the ranks of Hufad, 
he's known as like a machine. Yeah, he's like the Fort Knox of Farfads. <laughs> Not a single letter escapes that man's mind, mashallah. And, and, but look at how he, he brought, and for me, like I've memorized a portion of Quran that I could review, probably commensurate with my ability to run, <laughs> but it didn't strike me like it struck him. It didn't come to me like that. Why? Because He's not going to let a single moment leave while he's running except that he's gaining something from it. That way now when he's engaging in something. So how many of us are sitting and we're driving, we're commuting, we're at work, we're washing dishes, we're doing something. You know, Sheikh used to tell me about the, at the, the, the cook at, at Jamia Benoria used to make salawats as he was cooking. Used to send praise upon the Prophet as he was cooking. People used to, you know, they, 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 they recite poems about the Prophet while they're sweeping in Egypt. This is, these are people whose hearts are connected to Allah. They don't know the phrase, I'm bored. It doesn't exist. Because any opportunity they have that Allah has given them life is an opportunity to do something grateful to Him. And so he says, and he finishes, and he says, make it your mission to never find yourself and be conscious of a moment where you're not thinking about Allah's promise. It's not... It's not something that's possible all the time, right? There's moments where you're going to forget. That's fine. But as soon as you forget, right? Remember your Lord when you forget. The Quran says it. When you forget, okay, you're human. Remember Allah. Remember Allah. Because the remembrance of Allah will bring you back to the straight path. All the sins that we commit happen in the forgetfulness of Allah. And then when we remember Allah, it's like that, it's like the exit back onto the highway, right? We're on the service road of sin, and then we're trying to get back on the straight path. And we remember Allah, there's all of a sudden now there's an on-ramp. We go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But listen to this. He says, he finishes this, and he says that, فَإِنَّكَ لَوْ كَانَتْ مَعَكَ جَوَاهِرَةٌ مِنْ جَوَاهِرِ الدُّنْيَا فَضَعَتْ مِنْكَ He said, can you imagine if you have something valuable from the values of this, of this life? You lost your Apple Watch. You left your purse somewhere. You left your watch. Someone here left some Yeezys one time at Roots. And they messaged a lot. Right? And I get it. I, get, I don't get it, but I get it. Like, part of me wants to get it. Right? You lose something, it bothers you. Even if it's not valuable to anybody else, it's valuable to you. Someone gave you a necklace. It means a lot to you. You left it. You're going to be DMing Roots. You're going to be messaging Sheikh Abdel Nasser. You're going to be standing outside my window throwing rocks, right? <laughs> you have it. You have it. Why? Because it's valuable to you. And you lost it. And you can't imagine now moving on in life. It's irreplaceable. You can never get it back. If it's gone, it's gone. You know, money is like, okay, I can make more. But what if it's like a valuable treasure that you can never replace? So he says what? He says, لَحَزَنْتَ عَلَيْهَا حُزْنًا شَدِيدًا you will be in such a grievous state. You wouldn't even know what to do with yourself. Imagine if your parents or your grandparents or someone gave you like an heirloom and you lost it. Could you even talk to them? You'd be like just, you'd be depressed. You'd be walking around. He says, بَلْ لَوْ دَعَ مِنْكَ دِنَارٌ لَسَاءَكَ فَكَيْفَ تُفَرِّتَ فِي سَاعَتِكَ وَأَوْقَاتِكَ He says, if that's how you are with something that's just a material thing, then how are you when you lose an hour or even a moment of your life? You're never going to get it back. It's never coming back. Tuesday's done. 21st night's halfway gone. We'll never get it back. But it doesn't seem to bother us. That loss doesn't hit us. 
Because we take it for granted. And we think that this is not that priceless. I'll get another Ramadan. I'll get home tonight. These are all promises that the Neft makes to self. Ibn Qadama is saying, why don't you think for a moment that your breaths and your seconds and your minutes are more valuable than anything you own? How would you treat them then? So he says, وَكَيْفَ لَا تَحْزَنُ عَلَىٰ عُمْرِكَ الذَّاهِبِ بِغَيْرِ عَوْضٍ He says, and somehow people don't grieve over time that they've lost and they didn't earn anything from it. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us those people who earn from our time. We ask Allah Ta'ala to grant us the ability to be present and remembering Him in the moments where we forget. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that harvest from the time that He's given us and then on the Day of Judgment, we know that we're going to have regret, but oh Allah, make us those who have the least regret. Make our regret so small, oh Allah, that you forgive it and no one notices, ya Allah. Oh Allah, we ask you to make us value every breath you've given us. Oh Allah, we ask you to make us value our health before our sickness, our time before our time ends, our lives before our death, our prosperity before our challenges. Oh Allah, we ask you to grant us this perspective. Allow us to have taqwa. Allow us to have in these last 10 nights remembrance of you. Allow us to have the courage and the strength to do more in these last 10 nights than we've done in the previous 20 nights, Ya Allah. And allow us to be able to find your blessed night of power, Ya Rabbil Alameen, where you write our names from amongst those that are freed from the hellfire and that are guaranteed to your paradise, Ya Allah, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Subhanakallahu bihamdik, nashadu la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka, wa natubu ilayk shaykh. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to finish before you were... Okay, I just know that you have to run, so I didn't want to keep going. Barakallahu alaykum, everybody. We'll see you here, inshallah, tomorrow night. So, salam alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.